Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at killerqueenspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. All right, dudes. Welcome to Killer Queens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We are doing fucking Kurt Cobain. I'm so excited. I'm so ready to talk about this. I'm ready too. I, you were not ready. I wasn't ready. I was just telling Tori this before we started recording. This is a case that I was just like, okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just not that I don't care. It's just there's some cases that grab you, some cases that just don't grab you as much. And this one, I was not a big Nirvana fan. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> like, If it's not know, Celine, she doesn't want to hear it. Exactly. And I was just like, okay, whatever. And I was under the impression that Kurt Cobain's death was a suicide the whole time. Well, yeah, that's what Courtney would want you to believe. Exactly. And today, today I say no more, Courtney. <laughs> You're not going to live a life of lies and deceit. Mm-mm. No mo. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So we're going to dig into it. This is going to be a two-pata. <laughs> wow. She went Boston on yeah, us. Yeah, I went Pam Smart. <laughs> Wicked awesome. Yeah, who's still in the slamma as we speak. And if you want immediate access to part two, I mean like the moment this ends, you want to listen to part two. Or if you want to break the rules and you know stop right now and go and listen to part two, you can do you it. You could. You could do that. Yeah, we're not your mom. We never will be. So just join the Patreon, $3 a month and up. There's different tiers, but as low as $3 a month gets you ad-free every episode and immediate access to part two. You get bonus episodes up to three a week. Really can't go wrong. That's for $10 a month though, not for the three. Let's be be clear. Yes, yes. at the $10 tier, you get three a week. Yep. So, I mean, I've heard that we have the best Patreon around. Yes. And I've just, that's what I've heard. From a few people, actually. Many people. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we just want to make you aware of that and just let you know that this is a two-parter. So if not, you know, no worries. You can catch part two next week. Yep. Again, we're not your real mom. We never will be. So. All right. So special thanks to Madison for writing this episode. And thanks to Mark for putting his two cents in. I know he's very interested as well. Yeah, they both were just like, this is that case that they have like consumed every bit of material they can on it. And I can somewhat relate. A couple years ago, I got very, very into it with a friend of mine. We would just like watch any and every documentary about it because we're like, what is happening? So yeah, there's definitely 
I guess the thing that the kids are saying now is it's it's sus. Yes. It's the suspicion for me. (laughs) (laughs) I can hear your side part. (laughs) In my skinny jeans. I'm wearing skinny jeans. And I have a side part. Yep. Yep. And I'm 35. God. Oh, geez. That is yucky. Midlife crisis over here. (laughs) Just kidding. I'll probably live way longer than 70. (laughs) Probably. I mean, I feel like my body is already giving out, but that's a conversation for another day. Just start taking vitamins. I think you'll be fine. (laughs) I actually do take vitamins. Okay. So let's get started. First of all, who was... Oh, actually, first of all, I wanted to say there are a couple things you can watch on it. If you have not watched anything on it, like me, you can watch Soaked in Bleach. Tom Grant is the private eye. We'll be talking about him. And... It really focuses on Courtney's involvement in Kurt's death, but it's told kind of by Tom Grant because he was hired by Courtney to, quote, find Kurt when he was, quote, missing. Yes, she filed, a, we'll get into it, but she she filed a missing persons report. Yeah, and she hired him and all the things. So you can check that out. Uh, and Soaked in Bleach is, I watched it through Prime with an IMDb TV add-on. Yes, and um, I actually started watching it on YouTube, and I did not realize that it was like Dutch or something. It the the audio was English, but all of the on screen text was not oh. English. Oh, no. And I was like, man, I really wish I knew what they were saying right here. And then I figured out it was on Prime, so that was my bad. And then there's montage of Heck. It's more about Kurt's life and Kurt and Courtney, which is a little bit of both. Kurt and Courtney, I've watched it. It's not my favorite documentary that's ever been. It's a little... It's that new, new Nick Broomfield guy. I wish they he would just hire someone else to narrate it. Oh my God, he really is annoying. He I mean, really just, is, but yeah. it's got some good information. It's just not... There are things I would... I have some notes. I'll just say that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's that. So if you want to watch something, check those out. And um, now we will commence. Yes. All right. So Tori, you want to tell us a little about Kurt? I really do. Kurt Donald Cobain was born on February 20th, 1967 in Aberdeen, Washington, which I can only hear again, the song Aberdeen by Cage the Elephant. Oh, uh uh uh-huh. Aberdeen by Cage the Elephant. It's a really good song. But anyway, he was born in Aberdeen, Washington at Grays Harbor Community Hospital to Wendy and Donald or Don Cobain. Aberdeen was about two and a half hours south, or is, it still is. It was about two hours south. (laughs) It moved, it's moved since then, but at that time it was. Right, I'm like, it was? This is not a person, (laughs) this is a town. It's about two and a half hours south of Seattle and it is a logging town. Mm. Don and Wendy had met while they were working at a gas station in Aberdeen. Once they were married, Wendy couldn't wait to get pregnant. Kurt was the first grandchild on both sides, so there were constantly family members visiting. Kurt was magnetic with his bright blonde hair and blue eyes. People loved being around him. He was also so kind. He was always worrying about others. And he started singing and playing guitar and drawing as a young child. His Aunt Mary, who gave him his first guitar, recorded him singing often. She said he loved to sing songs by the Beatles. She said he was always the center of attention and wanted to be able to do things by himself, which is, (laughs) I do myself. Mm-hmm. His creativity was abundant and Kurt had no problem expressing it. 
Wendy worried about how energetic her son was. He was full of energy and always busy jumping off things and knocking things over. Sounds like he had a little bit of house cat in him. (laughs) Just knocking shit off the table. I was like, oh, were you going to drink this water? Not anymore. (laughs) Exactly. She became so concerned that she brought Kurt to a doctor to be evaluated for his hyperactivity. Wendy said that Don didn't seem to know how to handle his son. He believed that children should be seen, not heard. Don Mm. belittled and ridiculed his son. I'm sorry. Anybody who believes that children should be seen and not heard has never been around a child. (laughs) They are loud as fuck. Exactly. Like, you don't have children as decoration. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I don't get that. No, and if if you were like trying to have them as decoration and be like, okay, this is what I want them to wear and whatever, the magnitude of the tantrum because you want them to wear something, <laughs> it just out like fine. I don't get, I just whatever, just fine. Wear that. Wear your sweatpants and cowboy boots. I don't care. Yeah, just whatever. Yes, exactly. Well, I wouldn't be surprised, especially at that time in history, if mm-hmm. spankings were abundant. Yeah, yeah. Switches so, and whatnot. Sure. Mm-hmm. But by the time Kurt was nine years old, his parents had gotten a divorce. Wendy said that she just wasn't happy in her marriage and that she felt she hadn't accomplished anything with her life. Don moved out and Kurt stayed at the home with his mother and younger sister, Kim. Sounds like that was the best option for him. Yeah. And divorce wasn't common in the community and the Cobains became the topic of gossip in town. Kurt was incredibly embarrassed and didn't know how to express what he was feeling. He started acting out, arguing with his mother and sister. It got to the point where Wendy had to send her son to live with his father. It was another blow to Kurt when his father remarried. Kurt's new stepmother, Jenny, had two children, all as well as the son she was having with Dawn. Initially, Kurt seemed to be doing well at his father's house. Jenny said that he looked forward to family game nights, always making sure that they were on the right or the same night each week. Unfortunately, though, it wasn't long before Kurt started retreating into his room. He was spending most of his time playing guitar, He was a sullen teenager and started being mean to his siblings. Don and Jenny weren't able to deal with his mood changes and sent Kurt to live with his uncle, then to his grandparents, and then back to live with Don. Nobody seemed to be able to handle Kurt for more than a few weeks. He spent some nights under a local bridge and spent nearly a month on a friend's couch. The friend's father said that Kurt was polite and helpful, that he eventually worked his way into the family tour rotation. He also said that he didn't remember ever being in touch with either of Kurt's parents. Finally, when he was about 15 years old, with no other options, Kurt moved back in with his mom. And I actually think, I think like the couch that he stayed on, it was like he would stay there for like a week at a time and then like, you know, a couple weeks and a month. And then I think at one point he was there for the better part of a year. Yeah, that's what they said. Uh Yeah. Like for his parents to not be like, hey, where are you? Everything okay? Yeah. Like, is he wearing out his welcome? You know, like anything, like yeah. just no contact. It, it kind of seems like they were just like, okay, as long as he's not bothering us, we're fine. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's very sad. In high school, Kurt discovered marijuana, marijuana cigarettes, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, I bet he inhaled. I, yes, I'm sure he did. How many pots have you smoked in? Mm. He felt like it was an escape and prevented him from getting, from having routine nervous breakdowns. He began hanging with a group of boys from school who stole alcohol from the house of a local girl who was very overweight and had developmental delays. In his journals, he made references to suicide and feeling like a loser for not having had sex. 
he went back to the home of his neighborhood or the neighborhood girl and almost had sex with her, but wasn't able to follow through. His classmates found out about the encounter and began calling him names and harassing him at school. Feeling severely depressed, Kurt got drunk and high, went to a nearby train track and laid down on the track with two big pieces of cement on his chest and legs. He waited for the next train to come, but at the last minute, the train veered onto the track beside him. After this brush with death, Kurt made the decision to try and rehabilitate himself. As time went on, he became less depressed, but still struggled to make friends. He spent most of his time at school in the smoker's shed out back before finally quitting high school with two months left before graduation. Like at the finish line. And he's like, nope. I know. Not doing it. I feel like that happens so often. It's like, you're right there. I know. Yep. You're so close. Just give it Mm -hmm. two months. Come on. I know. Kurt didn't have enough credits to graduate on time and he couldn't deal with the feelings of isolation he felt at Aberdeen High School. His sister said that he was searching for whatever made him feel like he wasn't alone and that he wasn't so different. Kurt had also become extremely drawn to punk rock music. It was an escape for him. Unfortunately, it wasn't commonly found in the record stores at Aberdeen. A friend made him a few mixtapes that he wore out, playing them every day, lip syncing and playing guitar with them. He felt that the music helped express the way he felt socially and politically. At 15, he made his first recording with his Aunt Mary. She had recording equipment in her home and offered to let him use the computer drummer that she had. Kurt said that he didn't want to use a computer and that he wanted to keep his music pure. Instead, he banged on a suitcase. (laughs) At the age of 18 in 1985, Kurt was working as a janitor. He met Chris Novoselic. Yes, he met Chris Novoselic. Chris remembered noticing how quickly how good of an artist Kurt was. He never had idle hands and was constantly creating something. He had notebooks filled with doodles, lyrics, and notes and spent hours daily playing guitar or writing music. There were many rock and metal bands that had formed in Aberdeen, most notably the Melvins. Kurt attended many of their shows and practices and knew that is what he wanted to do. Do you know who the Melvins are? I have heard of them. I think I've heard a song or two. Yes. It's like in, um, I thought it was kind of funny in the Soaked in Bleach thing that, you know, they have somebody acting this out. And it was actually a guy that I've seen in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I feel like the reenactments were really great. Like they picked some really good people to play. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. they really did. It was extremely well done, the whole Mm -hmm. thing. Like I was just very impressed with it. But when Courtney calls the PI at first and she's like, I need help finding my husband, but like, blah, 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 blah. and she's like, we're kind of famous or whatever. And he's like, okay, what's your name? And she's like, Courtney Love. And he's like, cool. What's your husband's name? And she's like, are you fucking kidding me right now? And he's like, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't just, what's your husband's name? And so he wrote it down and he's like, shows the writing to the guy behind him who's much younger than him. And the guy's like, holy shit, Kurt Cohen. And he's like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Like he was just like, <laughs> never heard yeah, yeah, exactly. He's just like, I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> It would be like if I, if anybody said anything about any new artist now, I'd be like, huh? oh my God. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, you had to explain to me who the weekend was. And I was like, <laughs> like, I literally had no idea. And I, when Andrew and I heard that he, is it, it's, it's a just band? A is it a he? No, okay. it's a he. Yes. So he was playing the Super Bowl. And literally the comment that Andrew and I made to each other was, so weird. They're getting like a nobody to play the Super Bowl. Like, what is this? Like open mic night kind of thing? And Tori was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? He's been around for forever. Like, I don't understand. never heard of him. It's just so funny to me. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like how I had a client one time that was talking about going to a show and it was, oh my God, what is her name? 
Iggy Azalea, she was performing, like headlining, and Ludacris opened for her. And they were what? like these kids in front of them or her was like, oh my gosh, I really hope, like, that's awesome. I really hope that Ludacris makes it big after this because <laughs> they thought that Ludacris was brand new. Oh my God. That was brand new information. And she was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, Luda? <laughs> Luda. Yeah. Wow. That's anyway. insane. Okay, so let's talk about Nirvana and the era of grunge. In December of 1987, Kurt, bass player Chris Novoselic, and drummer Aaron Burkhardt formed their own band. The three performed wherever they could, in bars, at parties, at small clubs. They changed their name. Several is an understatement amount of times. (laughs) They were Pen Cap Chew, and that was like based on a drawing that Kurt had made of a pen with a like literally chewed the cap on. chewed on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was like, let's be pen cap chew. And they're like, okay, <laughs> fine. And Ted, Ed, Fred, Ned, Ed, Fred in bed. Skid Row, fecal matter. Yug. Yeah, that's gross. And they finally landed on Nirvana. And obviously that uh, stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Kurt felt that the meaning of Nirvana, which is ultimate freedom and individuality, represented what he wanted to convey with his music. He wanted something that sounded beautiful in contrast to the nasty names of punk bands that were around. Kurt continued to work as a janitor. He lived in Olympia, Washington at this time with his girlfriend, Tracy Marinber. I'm not sure how to say her last name. They had met at a party. Tracy was immediately drawn to him. He was funny. He wasn't afraid to be silly and make her laugh. Tracy saw Kurt's talent and his potential. She worked and supported him even when he began playing music full-time. She'd come home from work and find that Kurt had spent the entire day playing guitar, painting a new piece, drawing comic strips, or writing music. He was always creating. In January of 1988, the group recorded a 10-song demo with Seattle producer Jack Endino. Shortly after, one of the heads of Sub Pop Records heard the demo and offered to put out the band's first single, Love Buzz. Though it was exciting to hear their song on the radio, Kurt was extremely vocal that the music was more important than gaining popularity. He wanted to write great songs. Unfortunately, along with the band's growing popularity came the critics. <laughs> Don't Here we know about that? They come. Kurt, though generally quiet, shy, and optimistic, became enraged at the humiliation he felt from negative reviews. You know what? If Kurt was around, or if I, why would I be mentoring Kurt Cobain? But anyway, I'm like, listen, Kurt, just don't read reviews. Don't read Mm -mm. them. Nope. They're not good for you. Nope. It's just going to make you self-conscious. It's just, just don't even look at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you, you'll you read something and then you're like, okay, 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 okay. I'm going to let it go. And then like five minutes later, you're like, and another thing. What exactly. Like, like, it's just like, exactly. Yeah. What is the thing that you say? There's- I say it all of the time. It's Adita Von T's quote. And she said, you can be the ripest, juiciest peach. And there's always going to be somebody that don't like peaches. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. Or, you know, people who don't like juicy peaches. Mm-hmm. I myself like a dry meat, you know? Yes, I was talking to a guest the other day about how to prepare fish. And she was like, I don't like to do it like a wood. I can't remember what she said. She didn't like to do broil it or something because it it leaves it too dry. And I was like, Torella would love that. Yeah, let me write that down. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, dry as a bone, how Mm -hmm. I like it. Yep. 
It was during this time that Kurt began having terrible stomach pains. He was constantly nauseous and would go through periods of unexplained vomiting as well as coughing up blood. Gosh. He was evaluated by a number of doctors and had endoscopies performed, but he couldn't be diagnosed with anything, which is so frustrating. It's like, mm-hmm. you know something's wrong. What is it? Sucks. It's believed that this is what prompted Kurt's first time using heroin. In a journal entry, Kurt wrote that he used heroin about 10 times from 1987 to 1990. Tracy said during that time, she had no idea that Kurt had moved on to harder drugs. She said that he used to make fun of heroin junkies in Aberdeen. Kurt wrote about the severity of his stomach pains and how five years of it made him want to die. He and Tracy began to fight often, and he started staying away from home more and more. It wasn't long before the two went their separate ways. After the release of Nirvana's first single, Sub Pop Records requested an EP from the band. Much to their record label's surprise, the band already had a full album basically ready to go. In June of 1989, Nirvana released their first album, Bleach. Kurt's mother, Wendy, remembered that just before the release, he stayed overnight at her house. He came downstairs in the morning, just in his underwear, and had the master tape for the album. He asked her if he could play it. She told him to put it on the stereo and play it loud. She was so impressed by the music and incredibly proud of her son. Wendy was sure in that moment that everything was going to change. In September of 1990, the final drummer joined Nirvana, Dave Grohl. The group briefly toured England and the United States, gaining more and more popularity. In 1991, Nirvana signed with DGC Records and soon after released the album Nevermind. Within a month, the album was certified gold, and within four months, it was the number one album on the Billboard 200. Nirvana and Kurt Cobain became household names across the world, and grunge rock began to take over. I will say, the name Nevermind of that album made me believe for a very long time that Nevermind was just one word. Is it not? No, I think it's two (laughs) words. See, now I gotta look. I think every time I try to type it as one word, it like autocorrects it for me. I thought it was one word, like, oh, never mind. No, it says it's it's wrong. And you can do a a dash or you can like a hyphen or you can do two words. It is not one. Hmm. See? All right. Well, the more you know. Exactly. I don't know why I thought it was one word because I never listened to Nirvana, so I don't know. <laughs> but it's also like really incredible that, I mean, I feel like nowadays... Not that it's easy to become super famous because it's not, but I feel like there are just more avenues, you know, Mm -hmm. like at that time you had to, you know, tour around everywhere, play all the teeny little places. All about the grind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you had to just like either know somebody or hope that there was somebody there who could tell somebody and then get you in with a record executive, like that kind of thing. Yes. Put out your demo tapes and like. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Send them to all the radio stations and all the things. So, I mean, it's pretty incredible. Yep. How quickly it happened for them. I know. I mean, it's like, it's just amazing. I feel like right place, right time, right? Because, and it's all about timing because I know there are a few bands like in... Nashville that I have loved to see and they're really awesome, but it's like more that pop punk and that's not really popular right now. So I'm like, why Mm -hmm. aren't they, why haven't they made it super big? And it's like, because it's just not, it's not what's in right now. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like the stars perfectly aligned for Nirvana. Mm -hmm. 
So, <sighs> meh. Enter Courtney Love. Meh. Meh. We're not huge fans. <laughs> no, we've been made aware that there are people who do like Courtney Love. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. You know, but to each his own. I do like some of Hole's music, I'll be honest. But I, especially just after this, I'm like, fuck Courtney Love. Yeah. But yeah, I never liked her. Yeah, we're going to talk about her and we're also probably going to sing. Well, no, we definitely are going to sing Celebrity Skin by <laughs> Hole. It's going to happen. Yeah, we unfortunately don't have time to smoke 47 cigarettes in preparation, so we'll just get as close as possible. Yes. Courtney Love was the lead singer of an alternative rock band, Hole. With shaggy yellow blonde hair, powdered face, and bright red lipstick, the songstress was immediately drawn to Kurt. She said that the first time she saw him was performing in 1989, and she developed a crush on him. The two formally met in January of 1990 at a nightclub in Portland, Oregon. Courtney was 26 years old and Kurt was 23 years old. Nirvana's fame was continuing to grow and Courtney's band would release their first album later that year. Again, I'm gonna go ahead and say, I'm gonna sing the song, but it's like, oh, make me over. I'm all I wanna be. Yeah, I feel you're like- You're making it sound too good. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, thanks. <laughs> uh, she's horrible. I didn't have time to smoke. That's true. That's true. That's true. I shouldn't judge you. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm, sorry. I'm like, I'm giving it all I got here. That yeah, second line is really- Come back. Yeah, really where I shined, I think. I'm all I want to be. <laughs> there you go. There yeah. you go. I just got to like scream myself hoarse and mm-hmm. then, yeah, and then I'll get it. There you go. Courtney seemed to be from all over. She wasn't close to her mother and father. She spent some time in a juvenile detention center after stealing a Kiss t-shirt from a store. Seems like a hefty punishment for (laughs) but okay. Yeah, for a t-shirt. For a t-shirt. After being released, Courtney began stripping. She moved to LA and had a brief stint with acting. After realizing that acting wasn't the path for her, she moved back to Portland and began singing and playing with different bands. While still stripping in Minneapolis, she formed the band Hole playing gigs wherever she could. The first time I saw her on stage, she was dressed like a soiled debutante, said Rosemary Carroll, Courtney's lawyer, in a Vanity Fair interview in 1992. Her dress was ripped and she was a mess except for a perfectly pressed huge bow on the back of her dress. She was riveting to watch. Courtney had a presence and a power that was fascinating. In 1991, the band hit their stride in England where they started to gain more fame. The fans were intrigued by Courtney's punk pinup style and her loud personality. When Hole returned to the United States, their notoriety followed and they began to gain fans around the US. Though the couple was considered the alternative rock king and queen, their personality seemed very different. Friends said that Courtney was bossy, loud, and obnoxious, totally believable. And mm-hmm. she demanded his attention, which was difficult for him. Kurt was laid back and shy. People sometimes mistook his shyness for a lack of confidence, which was far from the truth. Kurt was sometimes quiet, but very intentional. He was thoughtful and kind and was entranced by Courtney's wild demeanor. On February 24th, 1992, the two married in a small ceremony on Waikiki Beach. The couple had a prenup, which was has been reported as both of their ideas. Courtney was already pregnant at this time. And on August 18th, 1992, Frances Bean Cobain was born. Her parents chose her godparents as R.E.M.'s Michael Stipe and actress Drew Barrymore. I thought Rosemary was a godparent. I don't even know. Mm. Maybe she's like a fun aunt. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe Drew was too busy to fulfill her godmothery duties. Maybe. I didn't know Drew Barrymore was that close to them. 
I didn't either, but the more you know. Mm -hmm. Let's get into the shit show that was Kurt and Courtney. It's just so sad to hear. And it's it's one of those things that like people are drawn to because they it's uh, drama, but it's their life and it's just sad. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just like, he was so young when he got sucked into the Courtney shit show. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Courtney and Kurt were in love and Nirvana was a worldwide sensation. They released their second album, Nevermind, in September of 1991 with their hit single, Smells Like Teen Spirit. The name of the song came from a friend of Kurt's. One night after partying, Kurt's friend spray-painted the words on his wall. Kurt smells like teen spirit, in reference to the name of the deodorant that the girl was wearing that Kurt was dating at the time, which I could not wait to use teen spirit deodorant because I was like, that's when I will be a big girl, basically. (laughs) Like, You use that when you're a teen, and I can't wait to be a teen. Exactly. Yeah. The song was so popular that it eventually knocked Michael Jackson's hit Dangerous from the charts. The immediate success of the single made Kurt uncomfortable. The whole idea of grunge music was not to have such notoriety. Smells Like Teen Spirit brought Nirvana into the main line of the music industry. Kurt and Courtney's relationship was wild. We got on like a house on fucking fire, said Courtney in an interview. Along with the passion and stardom, though, came the drug use. Prior to their marriage, Courtney had already beaten an addiction to heroin. There are lots of contradicting reports on who got who hooked on heroin within the relationship. Some say that Courtney was using, which prompted Kurt's addiction, while others say that Kurt's drug use pulled Courtney back under. Either way, the pair's drug use was totally out of control. Friends and those who were close to the couple became increasingly concerned about the couple's heroin abuse. There were stories that Courtney told of the two dressing up in disguise, going down to Alphabet City in New York, buying drugs, and then heading back to SNL for Nirvana to perform. Courtney's pregnancy reportedly didn't have any effect on her heroin use. Friends tried interventions and keeping the couple clean, but unfortunately, just after Frances Bean's birth, she was removed from Courtney and Kurt's home based on information in media reports of an unsafe living environment. The case was eventually dropped and she was returned home to her parents. Courtney said that Kurt had a fantasy of making $3 million than just being a junkie. Despite his addiction, Kurt thought Francis was the most important thing in the world. He was affectionate and loving, unlike his own father. He wrote about his love for her often in his journals. I will fight to my death to keep the right to provide for my child. I'll go out of my way to remind her that I love her more than I love myself. Not because it's a father's duty, but because I want to out of love. He said that she might be the reason he gave up music eventually. If anything will stop me from pursuing this rock and roll thing, it's going to be her because I don't want her to be screwed up because of it. The couple had regular urine tests and home checks from child services, so it's believed that the couple was off drugs at least for a short period of time. In a documentary where Frances Bean was one of the executive producers, viewers are given insight to Kurt and Courtney and their relationship through his journal entries, drawings, pictures, and home videos. Kurt is portrayed as someone goofy with a sense of humor. His love for Courtney and Frances Bean was obvious, and he seemed like an old soul. Courtney definitely seemed to be the more outgoing of the two. She wasn't afraid to be loud, obnoxious, and naked. Mm. <laughs> I kind of feel like, and I am going to forget the stupid douchebag's name. It was the case where, 
when the cops stopped by the house, his wife was oh, yeah, yeah, just yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. naked all the time. Yeah, it was the... It was Ying Ying Zhang or yeah. Zhang. I forget how to say her last name. I'm sorry. Um, what do I want to say his name was? It wasn't Jonathan, was it? Brent Christensen, I think. <sighs> so maybe. <laughs> yeah. And his wife was just like big fat naked. Michelle or something. Yeah. And it's like, can you get your wife to fucking put her taco away? Like, what the hell? Yes. Nobody wants to see your... No. Your cat out. Come on. No, but Courtney always had her cat out. like, just like And like time. relished in it. And it was so annoying. I mean, I've watched a few things, like I said before, but in the Soaked in Bleach documentary, they portrayed her very well because they had actual clips of recordings yeah. from like phone calls and stuff. But then they had the girl reenacting, like portraying her. And she's very like, do you know who I am? Like, mm-hmm. I'm a fucking rock star. And mm-hmm. it was like, she just could not, she didn't miss an opportunity to remind people that she's famous too. No, and I think she, the way she talked about it, she seemed very resentful that Kurt was as famous as he was. And it was almost like she had to kind of keep him down, you know, Mm -hmm. like, uh uh-uh, don't forget, I'm a rock star too. Like, I'm the one that should be fucking famous. I'm the one that should be a household name. I'm the one that should be playing all these big gigs and He's fucking taking over him and then fucking it all up. And yeah. Yeah. She's a bitch. Totally. Yeah. She talks about how she would kick Kurt's band's ass at festivals and that she forfeited playing at Lollapalooza so she could make money playing it. So he could make money playing it. And then she said he fucked it up anyway, which I don't, I don't know if she means he, did he not play it or I don't he know what play she it. No, he turned it down. Oh, he ended up turning it down. Well, if if they really did offer it to her first and he turned it down, then she could have gotten it after that. Don't you think? Like, I would think so. Yeah. Like, okay, well, they're not going to play. So we'll ask you. Yeah. Like we already asked you, you said, ask Kurt. He said, no. So will you guys take the spot? I don't believe that maybe she got that invite, but I don't know. I don't either. And I don't believe that if that was the way it went down, that she wouldn't have like crawled back to them being like, okay, can we play? Can we play? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, she would have, she has no shame about shit like that. Like, yeah. Yeah. She constantly talked about how she felt she was the most hated woman in America. Interviewers said that she would often ruin interviews with them and that Nirvana fans didn't seem to like her. Mm -hmm. I mean, if every fucking body is saying the same thing about you, then do you think that you might be the problem? Like, look inward, Courtney. You are a fucking mess. Yeah. It's a common denominator type of thing. And yeah, Yeah. I think the best word to describe Courtney Love, now I know she's cleaned it up and she's kind of on a better path now, I think. But Courtney Love at that time and for the better part of her entire life, the best word to describe her is a mess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just like, because she did. She would just intentionally, I mean, she flies off the handle, just all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously a lot of it, or I think- Drug use. Is drug induced. Yeah. She's just like, can't get a handle on her emotions and stuff like that. But I mean, come on. Like mm-hmm. people are saying that. Everybody's saying that because- It's true. Yeah. So let's talk about how fame isn't all it's cracked up to be. While the success of Nirvana and the album was appreciated, it was almost certainly unexpected and difficult to process for Kurt. His friend prior to success, Alice Wheeler, said that it almost seemed like he was embarrassed of the fame. She recalled one time that she rode with him in a limousine and he continued to apologize, saying that they normally rode in a van. She believed it was difficult for him to go from being a kid who was bullied in school to a celebrity who was being chased for autographs and photos. His life became constant touring and he grew sick of being asked to play Smells Like Teen Spirit all the time. 
I can't imagine. Mm-mm. Especially if something like I was thinking about this, it's not the same, but I was thinking about this with Paramore. And um, oh my God, what is that song called? Misery Business. Mm-hmm. And it was about something like, you know, you write a song. I don't know about this, but you write a song and it's about something like a tough time that you went through, but then you're like over it, but you still have to keep living it all the time because people are like, play smells like teen spirit again. You know, like, yeah, we play this every fucking day. Or you could be like, I went and saw Coolio one time and he did Gangster's Paradise twice. Yeah, I remember when Snow Patrol did Chasing Cars three fucking times because they had to get it right. Like the sound, the yeah, guitars there was weren't something, tuned or yeah, something. wrong with fucking amp or something. And he was like, no, no, we're going to get this right. And everybody was like, woohoo. And I was like, you have other songs. Yeah, I want to hear something song. else. I know. Yeah. That's not my favorite song. Like, I know. Come on. That's the one where it's like, light up, light up. No. No, no. That's Run, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Chasing Cars is, um, I know exactly what it is. Like, We'll do it um, all. Yeah, the one where, if I lay here. Yeah. Nirvana. Yeah. Okay. We're not talking about Snow Patrol, though. We're talking about Nirvana, so let's get back at it. Mm-hmm. It weighed on him heavily, and he didn't know how to handle it. Just the fame, all of the above. <laughs> From the beginning, Kurt was never comfortable with fame. He loved his fans and never hesitated to speak with them or sign an autograph, but he grew increasingly uncomfortable with the press and giving interviews. He made it very clear that for him, it wasn't about making money or having his face on the covers of magazines. It was about making great music. Eventually, the band stopped doing interviews for the most part. Kurt was never a fan of the press, something that he was very vocal about. He wanted the music to speak for itself. At one time, he said that he wanted to be seen as a singer and a songwriter, someone who could sit down on stage with an acoustic guitar, play shows like Johnny Cash, and not be thought of as a joke. He didn't want to be forever pigeonholed as a grunge singer. He wanted to grow as an artist. He even went through periods where his friends said that he hated the attention of being a rock star. Kurt's mother felt as though the drug use was getting worse and worse. He had sores on his body and was losing a significant amount of weight. She said that he'd come home often and that she finally confronted him about the drug use. Kurt cried when his mother brought it up and told her how ashamed he was. Those around Kurt and Courtney saw that the two were headed for an implosion. In the Vanity Fair interview, a record executive said, Kurt and Courtney are the 90s, much more talented version of Sid and Nancy. Courtney is going to be famous and Kurt already is. But unless something happens, they're going to self-destruct. I know they're going to be big stars. I just don't want to be a part of it. Ooh, that's a hot take. Yeah. Hey, is that what kids are saying these things? No, nobody's saying saying that. Nobody says hot take? Nobody is it just, is that, that over now or somebody has said it? I've never heard it before, except for just right now out of your mouth. Oh, maybe I'm just super cool then. Okay. <laughs> Debatable. Um, I might've heard it on a mom podcast now that I think about it. <laughs> anyway, hot take. Yeah. All right. So overdose or suicide attempt. In early 1994, while touring Europe with Nirvana, Kurt came down with a sudden throat ailment, causing him to lose his voice. He had to cancel several shows. Courtney said that her husband called her crying, saying that he hated everything and everybody. She said he was depressed and had asked her to come visit. Courtney said that she was with her band, something she hadn't spent a significant amount of time doing in a while. So she meets him in Rome and said that the two spent the evening in his hotel room, eating room service and sharing a bottle of champagne. She also said that she believed that Kurt knew that she considered cheating on him. 
She said she never actually did, although there are many reports that it was well known that Courtney was having an affair with Smashing Pumpkins' Billy Corgan. Really? Hmm, that guy. Yucky. (laughs) Courtney said that when she woke up around 5.30 a.m. the next morning, she found Kurt on the floor, unresponsive. An ambulance was called and Kurt was rushed to the hospital where his stomach was pumped. He regained consciousness a few hours later. It was found that Kurt had overdosed on Rohypnol, commonly known as the date rape drug. Courtney said in multiple interviews that Kurt had taken 50 or 60 pills and that she definitely believed it to be a suicide attempt. Can you even, I'm sorry, one, these are roofies, right? Mm -hmm. One roofie knocks you so on your ass How would you even get that many pills down? That's what I was thinking. 50 or 60, I don't see any way that you'd survive it, especially if it was handfuls at the same time. I don't know. But that's so much in your system when one of them would knock you completely on your ass. Like you, you put 50 or 60 of those in your system and you fall asleep or whatever, go unconscious on the floor and somebody doesn't find you till the next morning. I don't believe you're still alive. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a doctor and whatever, but that's just a lot, a lot. Mm -hmm. The doctor who tended to Kurt, though, disagreed. He said that Kurt had ingested much less than Courtney reported and that it didn't appear to be a suicide attempt. The doctor was very adamant that it was an accidental overdose. He had taken some of the Rohypnol and then drank champagne on top of it. Mm Mm-hmm. That's all it was. On March 18th, police were called to the Cobain residence because of an escalated domestic dispute. Courtney said that Kurt had locked himself in a room with a gun and threatened to shoot himself. The police confiscated the gun along with several others. Kurt denied that he was going to attempt suicide, just saying that he wanted to be away from Courtney. And then one month later, Kurt Cobain was dead. Oh my gosh. Like W-T-A-F, you know? That's insane. Yeah, so we're going to get to the events, you know, that transpire between that month and the investigation, but we cannot do that today. Mm -mm, No. Mm -mm. And our hands are tied. We have to do that next time. Exactly. But if you are a patron, you can have it right now. Yep. Go for it. Yep. We'll see you on the other side. Scoot on over there. No cliffhanger for you. Nope. If not, no big deal. We're just saying there are reasons. There are reasons. $3. Look, you can pay the $3 and then cancel the bitch. I don't care. Well, Torella. You didn't hear it from me. Don't tell Tori <laughs> I said that. You just said it to me. I'm just, I'm just saying work the system. That's all I'm saying. If you have to, if you have to, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, you know, do, do what you want to do. Yeah. Our eyes are closed. We won't watch you. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening and we will catch you on part two. Bye. Bye. Oh my God, you guys, we have got some Hey Girl thank yous. I can't say thanks since. Ew, no. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So I had to, Hey Girl, thank you. We got a little hey girl, thanks with it. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. None of that's working. So for yeah. some of our newer patrons. So yeah. we will begin that process now. Now I do want to say, <laughs> We've been getting a lot of messages about I haven't got my shout out or things like that. Um, it, the, the shout outs are for $10 patrons and up. So if you're signed up under the $10 tier, that's why you're not hearing your name. If you are signed up $10 and up and you didn't hear it, shoot us a message. We'll either find the episode that it was in 
or we will add you to the list because to be quite honest, technology sometimes misses things and we're so sorry. Yes. But we love you either way and we want to do your shout out for sure. Yes. Okay. So, hey girl, thanksies to Angela Barr, Kelly Butler. Oh my God, Jen Ebert, shut your mouth. <laughs> love you. Nevi Brooks. Candice Rayburn. Samantha. Oh. Go for it. <laughs> Big. Samantha, you know who you are just because we said, uh... The Nigwicks. Okay. That's not it. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't either. Which, yeah, I don't know. Uh, sorry, girl. Vicky. Jessica Burgess. Carly. Heather Farmer. Erica Geary. Kyaria Morgan. Carla Alexis. Charlotte Gaffney. Nicole. Ashley Luongo, Des Hunt, Emily Scott, Patricia Privet, Maya, Cassidy White, Rayan Russell, Allison, Maggie Corbold, Jennifer Schnur, Emily Beach, Morgan Bauer, Brayden Yates, Julie Crastel, Alicia Weber, Beth Roman, Allison Barrett, Terry Davis Nunn, Lynn Caldwell, Heather Nice, Lee, Evelyn Viegas, Johnny Avey, Lucy Kate, J.B. Kitchens, Abby Essen, Christina Taylor, Paige, Sherlyn Hyde, Tasha Hales, Jasmine Ford, Katie Wise, Lauren Tate, Stephanie with an F, Elica Contreras, Tony Phillips, Chris Morgan, Megan Green, Charissa or Carissa Love, Kay Jordan, Kristen, Tracy Miller, Paige Taylor, Chrissy Gavrilenka, and Tony. Oh my God, thank you guys. We love you so much. Yes, thank you. Sorry for butchering your name. Yeah, so sorry about that. We hope you forgive us. Yes. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. 